Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I am the CEO, president, and founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart, yes, the heart of Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, California. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. I've been involved in 17 startups and several unicorns. I was on the original management team at Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion. And I'm also the co-founder of Eva.ai. So with that, I'd like to bring on our incredible guest, Jason Williams. He's multilinguistic, everything from Finnish to Mandarin Chinese. He's got an uh, interesting background in his company, Artist and Audience, where he's the founder and CEO, is located in fin Finland. The revolutionizing show business. You have the show, but you do not have the business. Pre-seed tech startup in the entertainment industry, making sure artists maximize their revenue by creating the best experience for the fans. Oh, I love that idea. The best experience. <laughs> and I want to talk about uh, some of the things that he's doing, talk about where he's gone, and also talk about his background. So with that, so Jason, how are you doing today? I am fine, sir. How are you? Well, I got a question for you. How did sure. you end up in Finland? Now, how <laughs> in the world do you go from Virginia and Maryland to Finland? That is a long story. Um, I originally studied in Sweden in the year 2000 on a study abroad. Um, and then I went to China for many years, but I missed Sweden. Uh, and I went to Denmark for my MBA. And there I had some friends and I went over to Finland. And uh, actually, I found out I had a daughter that I didn't know about that was almost five in Finland in uh, 2015, and it changed my life. So here we are. Well, there you go. Now, was that your girlfriend from the Sweden? Uh, it, it was a lady friend that I knew in Finland um, oh, for a couple of years. And that's another long story, but we only have well, to I got to tell you, you got some really good stories. Now, yeah. why in the world did you want to go back to uh, Sweden? That was door number one. Um. Well, I just loved Sweden back then, and it just made me feel at home. But the best MBA program in Northern Europe was in Denmark. So that's where I went. And then in China, I actually had some, uh, in Shanghai, I had some friends from Finland and an ex-girlfriend. And then that drove me over to Finland. And the rest is history, as we say. Wow. So now, how was it living in China? <laughs> I went there first in July 2000. And it was a different world back then. I mean, it was the Wild West. I mean, there were still, you know, horses going down the street. And, you know, you could do any anything you wanted. Business-wise, it was amazing. The opportunity, if you want to start any kind of business, it was there. Uh, things were cheap. So it, it really gave me the entrepreneurial spirit. So I kind of went for the culture. I studied Chinese in college. And then I stayed for the opportunity. And uh, 14 and a half years in mainland of Hong Kong, almost five years in Hong Kong. Now, I got a question for it. You. you became an English teacher in China? Well, that was my college, what I did when I graduated from college. Um, I had a friend there, and I, I love studying there, but like you, you have to start, right? When you graduate from college, how do you get in the door in China? So I had an opportunity to teach English uh, 24 hours a week. I taught all over Xi'an, Changshui, and Jinan, um, from ki little kids that are five years old up to adults. Yeah, so like back then for anyone trying to move into China, the first step in the door is to teach English. Wow, and, then, and what about now? Has it changed? 
<laughs> That's a sensitive topic now. Yeah, it's changed a lot. A lot of the English teachers have left. I've heard now that they're really they're pushing Russian in China and they're getting rid of a lot of the English schools. Um, but again, that's a topic for later. But things have developed a lot in China over the last 20 years. So, wow. And and how was it living over there? What was it like? In the old days, if you're in your 20s, it was great. It was cheap. Um, you know, I'm my first salary was 6,000 RMB, which is only maybe 800 US dollars. But the average salary was maybe 50 for Chinese people. So when you're in your 20s, you've got a free place to live and uh, all the food and drink that you could possibly want. They gave you free food and free free. Uh, no, no, I, I had to pay for the food, but the housing was free. So you could go out and do what you want. And I loved it because every time you stepped out the door, it was an adventure. You would see something you've never seen before. You'd meet someone you've never met before. You know, I got to travel all over China and see. Well, everyone knows the Great Wall. Go down and see the pandas in the minority villages and things like that. So I, I loved it back then. Uh, China slowly changed and developed over the years, gotten a bit more expensive and more restricted. But back then it was wide open. It was great, man. I loved it. Loved the people, loved the food. And that's how I, are you there? Um, in the mainland, over nine years, between 2000 and 2010, and then I was in Hong Kong from 2012 to 20 until I found out about my daughter end of 2015 and then back for some work in 2018. So, I mean, I've seen it. I still have friends there that I still talk to. And I mean, that's how I learned Chinese was I, I took it in school for two and a half years. But you don't you don't get it until you're in. I was in Beijing in the university and like they locked the gate at 11 o'clock. And like they had really restrictive like where you can come and where you can go. And all I could say was like. Boo rent, boo rent, no person, no person to let me in. And it really drove me to learn because if you want food, you want to go to the doctor, you want to talk to anyone, you had to learn Chinese. Like you were forced to do it. So wow, that's amazing. So you were yeah. in there, you lived in a secluded place. They locked you in at 11 o'clock, huh? They locked you in. You weren't allowed to have friends. Foreigner Chinese weren't allowed. I mean, it was very old school communist, like Russian style back in the old days. And then like, it slowly changed and you know you'd have to so deal what did with you do if you wanted to go out late you want to go out a club or something what did you do <laughs> therein lies the issue right um so then you'd have to you have to get in you'd have there'd be a, there's always a guard that was they'd have a gate and they have a guard so you'd have to become friends with the guard you know leave him some uh gifts or something like that so that he would let you back really? in the, <laughs> yeah you have to uh, gifts, so you have to tip them on the way in huh Right. Well, he'd be asleep in his little guard up thing, so he wouldn't really want you to wake him up. So you'd have to be really nice to the guy, or you'd be in some trouble. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! And did you have? How long were you there? Uh, in well, let's see. So I studied in the summer two thousand in Beijing, and then I came back in two thousand one to teach English. So then, you know, I was all over China. 2001 to 2004, and then I got a job with uh, Bearing Point, the KPMG Consulting, in in Shanghai, and it was it was me and 500 Chinese doing software out, outsourcing. So I I moved to Shanghai then. Like I, I was responsible to. There are a lot of communication problems between these Fortune 500 companies and the Chinese software engineers. So I was kind of in there to help them understand the Chinese culture and like you know you in China you're very indirect, right? You you can't say 
you know, Gary, you made a mistake. You have to go around the back door and smile and be nice and explain. And what would different. you say in that case, Jason? Somebody makes a mistake. What would well, you say? I here is my unsolicited advice. I had two feelings. I was happy and sad, never angry. Oh, you did such a good job. Thank you. Oh, I'm so sad. We didn't, we didn't do this. Maybe we can, you know, you have to save face. There's this surface harmony, right? And there's also, there, there's Benza face and then Guanxi relationship. So you have to kind of work the back door on that. But I, I would tell these executives, like they're big, big guys in the U.S. It was like, look, you can be yourself and uh, you can say directly what you want and get angry about it. But is that your goal to be yourself or to accomplish your goal? If you want to accomplish your goal, I would approach it this way, you know, take the guy out to dinner, make him look good, make him feel good, and then slowly, privately discuss things with them rather than, you know. Wow. That's amazing. And how long did you stay in China? Um, so 2000, 2001, and then Shanghai 2004, and I was there through the NBA in uh, 2007. Then I moved back after the NBA, 8 and 10. So it was like 14 and a half years total counting Hong Kong. Now, do you miss it? I, I miss the old days. Uh, now there, there's a lot more cameras and restrictions and, you know, there, there's a lot more monitoring. I don't know. And there's a lot, people are still in COVID lockdowns. So I miss my friends. I'm, I'm sure if I went back, I would love it. Um, but I definitely miss the old days and going to Chinese restaurants and hanging out for sure. I bet. I bet you saw some unusual food there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was in uh, Qingdao Kaifachu, which was the, uh, there's Qingdao, you know, this Qingdao beer, Singtao? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. seen it. But there was a free trade zone, like, across the water that Deng Xiaoping had made. It was one of his dreams. And it, it was, there was maybe six foreigners and a million Chinese. And uh, I went to one restaurant every night, and I ordered from the beginning of the menu, see how far I could get. And it starts with cold dishes. So you're eating like cold underwater snails and slugs and things like this. And, you know, I've, if you name the food, I've eaten it. Dog, wow. I've had that too. So, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And yeah. so you did that. And then what, what happened after that? You went back to Finland or what, where did you go? Um, I don't know what year, but I got the MBA. I went back to China and then uh, a good friend of mine had a, a startup and it was funny because this guy was a former pro hockey player. He, he got called up to the NHL, but he broke his leg in his last game, ended his career and ended up in China. And when I was going for my MBA, he was, you know, reading his 10 day MBA book and going to start this thing called expat hut. And I was laughing at him and uh, he came back and he realized in China, the foreigners missed what they had uh, back home. And also he realized the pollution was really bad. He had a son that was, uh, you know, would get sick from all the pollution in China. And he started selling air purifiers in the home to, uh, you know, cure people of these. Does it work? Did it work? They, it worked great. Um, he built it up in uh, Shanghai and Beijing. And I got hired to be the general manager in Hong Kong. And uh, I mean, my first year there, we did like a million euros with three staff selling them online. It was perfect because you got to sell it online. You also got to go in the home, which is the dream of any salesperson is to go meet them in the home and we're talking, you know, $800,000 a machine and you need two or three machines. So, and back then a lot of the expats and rich Chinese, you know, they were on these big salaries. So it was good. So we also sold those pollution masks that everybody has now. I was selling those 10 years ago. 
That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And was it that dirty over there? Um, the pollution was bad and like, it's, it's no offense, like the industrial revolution in, in England, you know, how everything was all gray and, you know, they use a lot of coal. So China in the development, you know, they had a lot of pollution. You wouldn't see this. It would just be gray. Yeah. So it was, I, I don't know the, the status these days, but at the time. Big so thing. you were there and then when did you go back over to uh, Finland? When did you move back over there? <laughs> When I found out about my daughter <laughs> at the end of 15, a little bit of a life-changing wow. experience. How old is your daughter now? She's 11. Wow, that's so great. Years. So I moved over here in six, back in 16. Now we're in 22. That's amazing. So I've got the Finnish citizenship now, so that's good. And was that um, hard to get? Yes. Um. <sighs> Yes and no. Yes, it, it, they have a system. It takes five years or four years if you pass the language exam. There's seven parts. Um, you know, you got to master the language, have a job, not committed any crimes, pay your taxes, like establish like that you've actually lived in Finland for that time. But you're allowed to go visit your family and go on business trips like that. So it was seven things. It, it took a long, long, long time. And um they also had the the refugee uh, crisis rate at, in 16 when I moved. So there was these six-month, one-year delays on different visas throughout the process. But if you put your mind to it, you can get it done. So That's great. That's amazing. And so what do people do for fun in Finland? What do you do? Well, people, well, of course, the sauna is the big thing here. So people go to the sauna. They drink beers and go to the sauna. It's a big thing. People love nature uh, in Finland. Uh, they do like drinking a lot. Music is a big thing here also. I mean, that's some of the reasons I have the uh, ideas for the company was like they're big into the music and the famous people here. And, but yeah, like around where I live now, there's a lake. I go every morning. I still walk over and go jump in the lake for a minute. You know, the water's getting very cold. cold. Oh, in the last week or two, it's gotten cold. So you, you have to get your brain right to well, You go. jump into the lake and what do you do? Well, yeah, for me, I, I don't swim. I, I, I like it's called Avanto in the winter. It's like the hole in the ice, you know. So you I'm, like I'm, that going into the hole in the ice. Yeah, it's a it's called a hermetic stress stressor. So like a sauna or the water, it's it, you'll be cold and it, you'll really feel it. But you know, at the end, you, you feel better after. So it's, I think it's very good for your health. So I heard it's good for hangovers too. Is it true? <laughs> Well, I'm sure everything is, but, you know, as you get older, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever you yeah. can do drive. That's great. So you did that. You've got the, um, you've got your own, um, you got your daughter. Tell us a little bit about how'd you come up with audits and audience? I mean, you were at Senso IT. You were in um, uh, working there as a director of sales and business development. But how did you come up with artists and audience? And tell us a little bit about it. Well, all right. So I've lived in China for years and years and years. So, you know, I guess VC people would be the same. I've heard every person in the world come into China with their great idea. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just need one dollar from every Chinese person. I'm, I'm talking from major companies down to like little entrepreneurs. And I've seen every one of them, for the most part, come in and leave and like, you know, lose all their cash and they're out. So like I I, I developed a sense for business from that, like on the ideas. And then like my boss that had something simple, he's like, you know, okay, the, the air is dirty. You know, that's a problem that everybody knows. 
and then he sold it, solved it, and you know he made some really nice money off of that. So with that said, I was in Finland and like uh, I kept thinking, what's a good business? What's a good business? Okay, that's that won't make any money. That's not going to work, you know. And then I was um, at the mall with a friend of mine that's an American and he's uh, been the nanny to the stars for thirty years since nineteen ninety two, and you know he's done gigs. From- what? He's a nanny. No, no. He, he was the nanny to the stars. He's an American guy that took care of like world famous musicians. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. He took care of. Well, yeah, yeah. He'd help them out, whatever they need, you know, make sure they're happy. Right? Yeah. So that was the nanny, right? You know, you know, Frank Sinatra, he's been on tour with Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard. And, and how, boy, that must be an interesting job, right? Right. So <laughs> babysitting the rich and famous. You know, um, so we were sitting there and, you know, again, hey, what, what's a good business idea? And he's like, well, the artists aren't getting paid their fair share. And I said, hey, yes, this is a problem. Everybody knows this problem. And then the first idea was, OK, we'll uh, we'll put Spotify out of business. And then, uh, you know, you think about that for a half hour. and you're like, OK, that's not a great idea. So then I was like, well, the thing is now it's not the music. It's that people want this direct connection. You know, they want this VIP backstage feel. And he goes, yeah, you know, I've seen Gene Simmons backstage, you know, for 500 euros, you get an autograph, take a picture. Next person, you know, he walks out with 25,000. And I've seen, you know, Def Leppard put on eBay, you know, 25,000 for one dinner. And I, and I was like, yeah, you know, people want this feeling. And then, so that, 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 was one piece that, you know, people want the connection. And I said, you know, I bet people will pay happy, pay money to hear happy birthday from, from the artist. And th- this was before cameo. If you know that, like, I think it's getting bigger well, I now. Cameo. I did it with uh, the guy that played uh, Greg Brady. Greg. Well, there you go. Brady so, I had him do a birthday wish. I knew it. See, so I had that thought before cameo came out. I said, people will pay for that. You should have done it. Well, <laughs> Where were you in 2019 when I thought of it? Come on, we we can help. (laughs) So, but then like taking it forward, I said, okay, so they want this direct connection. Uh, Two, I said, Def Leppard is putting their $25,000 dinners on eBay. I was like, what? I was like, they don't have a better system to uh, like pull in all their different sales funnels into one place. So like, what if we're able to scrape their data into one place or be able to pull all of their, like for me, if someone listens to a song, it's a lead to a sale. Like if you right. think about it like that, or someone clicks like on the uh, fan post of the band, it's a lead. So if we can pull those into one place, you know, have a direct connection. Oh, Gary, you know, wow, thank you so much for liking my music. You're such a great fellow. We want to get the opportunity of a lifetime. Right. And then I said, we need like a sweet person. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what people want, right? Yeah. And then, so I, then I said, I don't know if you've had used CRMs in your life, but I, I have as a sales and business guy, I know CRMs. So we needed to develop like a simple CRM in the background for the artists with some machine learning, you know, okay, come here, do this, say this, ask this person this, and then you can make this. And then, so that's kind of the idea for the, for, for the business. Wow. Um, so here we are. And then, um, well, I've tell gotten, us a little bit about it. Where are you today with the company? So I've gotten in the uh, friends, family, and fools, 30K. Uh, 
you know, it's my brother and two of my friends. And uh, like that for me, that is the hardest part. You know, if I get more investment, I'll take very good care of them too. But like having your family give you money is that's a big thing. And then um, got 50K in from, well, 50, 5K in for a small prototype from Business Finland and then another 50K in to develop a clickable mock-up, which has been complete. Um, and then like a small bank loan. So we've got a clickable mock-up. We've got the website, all the investor materials, and now we need the pre-seed money. So if anyone is a lead investor that's interested, I am happy. Tell us what you're raising. Uh, 300K, but uh, what a lead investor, what do you need? 150 or 200? I'm not sure exactly. I've got some other interest once we get we, we get that. Um, but here we are, you know, if the idea has legs, it will the money will come and it will continue. And if it doesn't, <laughs> on to the next one. So Yeah, no, I mean, the situation is you never know. And part of it's getting out there as much as you can. And do you have any revenue today? Uh, no, I mean, we, we're just at the very early pre-seed phase. So we, we need money to do the back end of the uh, the MVP so that we can actually onboard. So I, we've also, you know, talked to a lot of artists, you know, from small time to millions of fans. We spoke to them, you know, what are you looking for? What do you want? What do you need? Would you use this? Fans, what are you looking for? What do you want? What do you need? So I've got all the data. I've got the clickable mock-up. We've designed it out so that artists can come on and test it and use it. But, I, you know, it's one of these uh, making a movie, you know. Has anybody used it? Uh, you know, people, people click through and give feedback. Um, but, again, we, we need to code it. And then once we get some more uh, funding, we can do it. So, like, I've got a lot of feedback, and I know where we need to go. But, again, it's the movie. So the director needs to tell the uh, the actor that, you know, they've got somebody, and then it's back and forth. So you've got to get the cart before the horse, you know. So. Well, it but, sounds like you're making good progress. How long have you been working on this project? Um, Well, <laughs> COVID kind of came in the middle. So I've been uh, – that, that kind of slowed things down. So probably like six to nine months. Yeah, maybe this time last year, we started getting everything going. Um, and then it slowed off. Well, we had your course in the summer, which was great. Thank you. And so now the summer's ended and it's I've been shooting out emails and talking to people, trying to catch one fish or great partner, which I look forward to working with. So here we are. No, that's great. So we're coming up to the top of the show. Uh, closing thoughts and how do they get a hold of you? Well, closing thoughts. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a it's a pleasure. Um, anyone can reach me at Jason at artistandaudience.com. Uh, you can go also to artistandaudience.com. AAAAA.com was for the automobile insurance. So we had to go with the long, long way. Um, I'm also Jason R. Williams, MBA on LinkedIn. Happy to connect and talk to you if anyone's interested. And uh Anything I can do for you, Gary, please let me know. No, it sounds great, Jason. Thanks for joining the show today. To my audience out there, thank you for joining one more time of GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm your host. Stay tuned for another exciting edition. We'll be coming up again on Thursday. Jason, thanks again. Reach out to Jason. If you have any questions or concerns, he's got an incredible company making a lot of progress and he's looking for people that uh, share his passion. So thanks again. Stay happy, stay safe and stay healthy. My name is Gary Fowler and stay tuned. We'll be back again on Thursday. Thanks, Jason. Take care of yourself. Thank you, sir. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.